It's Casey on the radio, the health and happiness show brought to you by Hudson Valley Hospital Center, a better place to get better. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for tuning in today. And I have to begin with a great big thank you to all the ladies who attended a day to fall in love with your life last Sunday at Shine on Reiki in Cold Spring. We prayed and laughed and danced and had lunch and we are looking forward to another great event in March. Find out more at CaseyOnTheRadio.com. Okay, we have in the spotlight today two visionaries, King Arthur and Abraham Lincoln. Camelot is on stage at the Westchester Broadway Theater in Elmsford, and the love and friendship between Arthur and Guinevere and Lancelot is most unique in this adaptation. Listen to in tickets to that show coming up. And we have the 16th President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, whose birthday we celebrated on the 12th. You can learn the 12 Aquarian Principles of Abraham Lincoln at a special evening this Wednesday night in Pleasantville. The Giordano Foundation invites you to A Night with Lincoln. It's Wednesday, February 25th from 6 to 9 at Trattoria 160. That's 160 Marble Avenue in Pleasantville. Spiritual astrologer Dimitra Vasiliadis will combine her love of history, astrology, and Abe Lincoln in a presentation entitled The 12 Principles of the Aquarian Age. Lincoln embodied them all. Aside from providing you your daily horoscope and astrological charts, Demetra also writes a current events blog as seen through the prism of astrology at heaventoearthastrology.com. And the Giordano Foundation's mission is to support the empowerment of women. You can visit giordanofoundation.org to get tickets to the Wednesday night event in Pleasantville, and I will see you there. So Lincoln and the principles of the Aquarian Age, Demetra, I have to start here. What is the Aquarian Age? The Aquarian Age is the age that we're coming into, astrologically speaking, each sign has an age. Each age lasts about 2,000 and a few hundred years. And the age is governed entirely by the sign of that age. We're leaving the Piscean Age, which was governed really by religion, especially the Judeo-Christian and Muslim faiths dominated the age of Pisces, and we're moving into the age of humanity. So the Aquarian Age is the age where human beings and human effort really take the stage. And we saw that age being born in the 1700s. So when I was growing up listening to AM radio and the fifth dimension was singing this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius, they were talking about this They were talking about this, harmony and understanding, sympathy and trust abounding, no more falsehood or derision. I know all the lyrics. However, what I would really say the age of Aquarius is, is much more about human beings and universal human rights. We're leaving the age of kings and entering the age where we rule ourselves and where we are all equal. Very good. Now, when does this age of Aquarius begin? Well, I think it already began. It began with the American and French revolutions. So that's the part I don't understand. There's no calendar that says this is this age and this is that age and this is... Well, astrologers quibble endlessly about when the age really began. Okay. Um, It's hard. You know, you you could start a shooting war at an astrology uh, convention by saying it's exactly on this day or same thing with the chart of the United States. People go nuts about what's the real chart. When was the country really born? Yada, yada. So we are, let's say, for argument's sake, this is the beginning of the Aquarian age. We're in the beginning of it. We're in the very, very beginning of it. And we're going to be in this age for a couple of thousand years. Yes. And you say one of the greatest examples of the Aquarian age is Abraham Lincoln? Abraham, Abe the Babe Lincoln. 
You love him. I love him. Rocking down through the centuries. He literally embodies the very best because the Aquarian age will be bound and defined by universal principles. The principle of freedom, the principle of all universal human equality, the principle of liberty, the principle that if we have some sort of self-government and everyone is allowed to find their way to rise, then true genius will appear and will often appear in the humblest and most unlikely places, as with Abe the Babe. Abe the Babe. All right. When did you first fall in love with Abe Lincoln? You know, even in childhood, I was very drawn to him. I mean, everyone is. He's iconic. He's everywhere. He's on the penny. He's the Lincoln Tunnel. There's a town car. And he he's enthroned in Washington, gazing out over the centuries, gazing out over his handiwork. Right. Um, but I really fell in love with him. I would say, like, in the late 90s, I just became obsessed with the Civil War and obsessed in particular with Lincoln, but obsessed with the central argument and the the strange paradox of a country, this country, that defined itself based on liberty and holding the truth to be self-evident that all men are created equal, and then having this horror of slavery, which Lincoln would call the, the snake in the garden. And he's, he's just remarkable. Right. On the evening, the Giordano evening that we'll be doing on the 25th, we're going to talk about some 12 bedrock Aquarian principles that Lincoln embodied, you know, and one of them is our Arguing the principle. Arguing the principle. All right, Arguing we're going to we're going to get to some of uh, Lincoln's principles in just uh-huh. a minute. We're talking to Dimitra Vasiliadis. She is a spiritual astrologer, but also a uh, could we call you a Lincoln expert? Well, you could call me a deranged fan. Yes, <laughs> she's a deranged Lincoln fan. I'm a Lincoln stalker, baby. Yeah, I've never heard anyone quote him or talk about him much like you, and I'm sure you were crazy about the movie Lincoln, yes? I did love the movie. I yeah. don't think it should have been called Lincoln because it was so specifically about the 13th Amendment and the passing of it. I mean, I don't think it really covered his meteoric rise, um, right. but I thought it was extraordinary and beautiful. Well, last night I watched a movie on his childhood, and I must say it was one of the most boring things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, well, his childhood was pretty grim. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have a roof at times on one of the cabins he lived in. It was cold. And it he didn't say much. Poor. No, he was reading. He was chopping wood. Um, he was finding his way, and his brilliance, his genius was finding him. That's another Aquarian principle, that genius is enshrined in every human being. All right, let's go back. Degree. Let's go back before we get ahead. We're talking Lincoln principles, and you fir- said the first first Aquarian principle that Lincoln embodied was arguing the principle. Explain. I will explain. Actually, the first one would be unity, but okay. let's go to arguing the principle. So here we are, you know, back in the day in the, you know, 1850s and 60s, and the principle, um, the issue of the day is literally the extension of slavery. It's not slavery itself, and Lincoln takes a lot of guff these days because he wasn't like a, a rabid abolitionist, although in his heart I believe he was, and if you read him in volume, you'll see that he was. But what was happening was that in Kansas and Nebraska, um, slavery was going to be allowed to extend. And this he would not have, because it could have opened the door to the entire country becoming open to slavery. So there's this huge issue. People are so angry. There's the Harper's Ferry incident where Brown actually tries to start a slave revolt. People are caning each other in our, you know, government institutions. They're caning each other? They're, they literally get physical and hit one another. There's a man named Owen Lovejoy who's murdered because 
because he keeps printing abolitionist material and his printing press is thrown into the river. And Lincoln stays cool and detached in an Aquarian way. He does not allow the passion of the time to alter him from his very principled argument. But what he does is when he gets into these legendary debates with Stephen Douglas, who was the behemoth colossus of the time, and even that is an act of extraordinary superheroic bravery, that this kid with no education gets up on the public stage and for these, you know, Lincoln-Douglas debates takes on, you know, the most famous debater of the day and holds his own, I would say, does even more than hold his own. But in his debate, he argues always the merits. He never puts down his opponent. What he says is, you know, what's at stake here? I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you know, Judge Judge Douglas doesn't believe that slavery is wrong and that it ought to be extended. I believe that it's terribly wrong and must be confined. You know, and these are the, you know, the central core issues that will always exist, tyranny versus slavery, even when our tongues cease to wag. So... And then he also, in the Aquarian way, appeals to the highest and best in people. This is extraordinary because think about the red state, blue state fighting and name calling right. and, you know, childish, hateful, very young debate that we're engaged in now on the public stage. Lincoln instead, first of all, never put down the South. And he even admonished the North from doing so. He would say they are exactly as we would be if we were in their position. If slavery existed here, we would not be so quick to get rid of it. And if it didn't exist there, they would not be so quick to invite it. So let's keep, you know, personalities out of this. But then in an even more extraordinary and beautiful way, like this is where Lincoln sort of takes your breath away. He goes on to appeal to them in various speeches in even a more human way because they're defending slavery tooth and nail. They're going to leave the Union, you know, if they can't have the the plantations. And of course, he also understood that it was so embedded in their economy that it was going to be a big problem for them. But he says to them, you know, you say that there's nothing wrong with this. You say that, you know, there's nothing wrong with the institution of slavery. But why is it that you will not allow your children to touch hands with the slave traders? Why can your children play with every other child but not theirs? Why will you not, in the custom of human beings, shake hands with them? And he also says, if there's nothing wrong with slavery, there are 250,000 freed slaves. How came all this property to be walking around free if there's not something within you that impelled you to give these people their liberty? You know, it's just the most elevated principle. I see what you're saying. Elevated way of thinking, elevated way way of being. And, And if Abraham Lincoln were here today... I think he would be appalled at how politicians handle themselves, even in political ads. The mudslinging and the and the hatred and the um, and the personality, like yeah. he looks this way or the, you know, just the. Although he probably here's what's weird, Casey. He probably wouldn't be surprised at all. This was a man who so almost angelic understood human nature. He was a realist. He was so funny in that way. He understood people, and that's where some of his humor comes in. Like he has this funny joke that's like, "Here's a hypocrite, a man who murders his mother and father and pleads." for mercy because he's an orphan. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, he had seen it all. He had defended murders, you know, but he he would call us back. He, he would look, he'd roll his eyes and be like, oh, they're at it again. He'd say, what is the principle? You know, what is the big threat to the country right now? We're Let's speaking to Dimitra Vasiliadis. We're talking about her love, Abe the Babe, Abraham Lincoln, as we celebrate President's Day together. So speaking to principles, one great Aquarian uh, precept that Abraham Lincoln adhered to, and you say to a unity and genius. Let's talk about that. Um, his main focus throughout the entire Civil War, and it's interesting that his life, his presidency spanned the exact duration of the war. He came in, boom, Fort Sumter, the war begins, and then just as the war is ending and um, Appomattox takes place, he's assassinated. So his presidency is entirely for this terrible contest. But throughout, and the principle of Aquarius, of any true spirituality, is union and unity. We are one. Lincoln was singing this. He's like the garage band president of We Are One. Like in his first uh, inaugural, even before the first inaugural address, his first speech where he addresses unity is the House Divided speech. What he's pointing out is the obvious. He's saying a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to, to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all another. And that's the principle of unity. He's a futurist, which is another uh, Aquarian trait, looking way into the future. And he's saying, you know, can peace be made easier between enemies than friends? Say we have a war. We're going to have to resolve it. Why not just resolve this peacefully now? Right. He points out we cannot move our borders. We will always be next to each other. You know, so he points that out. And then finally, in the first inaugural address, is the beautiful We Are Friends. When he says, I am loath to close, uh, I quoted it in my column, I believe, this month. But at the very end of it, he goes on and on about slavery and the issue of the day and secession and civil war. And he puts the, the onus for civil war on the South and says, you know, it will have to be by your hand, my dissatisfied countrymen. Here's in, in your hands, my dissatisfied countrymen and not in mine is the momentous issue of civil war. You know, the government will not assail you. You'll have to, you know, take the first step, which they do. And then at the very end, he says, I am loath to close. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching back from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of union when again touched as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. By the better angels of our nature. I think that's what the movie was called last night, My Better Angels. Well, that's another Aquarian principle, is he always called upon the higher self. Yeah. Not just arguing principle, he tried to call out what was best in people. And that, he believed, was the genius in everyone? Well, I think he believed, actually, that there was goodness in everyone. He, he argued, and I'm going to get into this on the night of the Giordano uh, evening, that man has two natures and that slavery uh, is 
a result of man's selfishness, but love of justice is born in the fullness of man's heart. So man is not governed by just one principle, which we all have, our base and selfish nature. I've certainly seen that in myself and in many other people. I don't think any among us, you know, are without that. It's part of our, I think it's actually part of our animal nature, survival, me first, I have to live. But he's saying in humanity, there's also love of justice and that this is born out of the fullness and generosity of man's heart. And that is who he was speaking to always. Lincoln always addressed himself to the generous and full nature enshrined in every human being and he wanted every human being to have a chance to rise i mean some of the things he said about black people at that time and their right to the fruit of their labor is extraordinary when you consider who he was speaking to and when he said these things a very courageous man indeed a knight of lincoln and the age of aquarius with demetra vasiliatis presented by the giordano foundation wednesday night in pleasantville get your tickets at giordanofoundation.org and i will see you there next stop camelot it's casey on the radio the health and happiness show brought to you by dr david bank at the center for dermatology in mount kisco visit thecenterforderm.com i was brought to the emergency room on a saturday afternoon after suffering from a headache for about three days debbie aglietti was nervous but she didn't want to alarm anyone she had her husband drop her off at the Hudson Valley Hospital Center, No Weight ER, on the way to taking their sons to a basketball game. Before my husband even came back, I had been seen by two nurses, a doctor, was totally pain-free, and was waiting for the neurology consult. This No Weight ER is no joke. I did not even sit down in the waiting room. Debbie's diagnosis, a viral condition. She spent three nights at Hudson Valley Hospital Center. I can just go on and on about this The way that they care for their patients, the way that they care for each other, it's just a better place to get better. Hudson Valley Hospital Center practices a different kind of medicine. They call it patientology. For more information, visit hvhc.org or call 1-800-482-4842. Hello, this is Pamela Cuccinell offering you the astrology forecast for the week. Instead of falling prey to restlessness or anxiety, let today be a creative play day, if possible. Monday's Taurus moon encourages a slow and steady pace. This lends itself well to follow-through and thoughtful purchases. A project already in motion benefits from focused attention on Tuesday. If adaptability is your M.O., then Wednesday is highly productive. Attend responsibilities in the early a.m. Be especially careful of any correspondence on Thursday and wary of initiating anything. It's better to take your time than run with scissors. Friday may be a highly emotional day for some, especially if water signs are prevalent in your horoscope. If possible, surround yourself with people you love and trust. Saturday's morning may be rocky, such as a blow-up with a family member or an unexpected financial or business situation. Find your calm place with a walk near a body of water, visit to an aquarium, or enjoy a quiet bath. Visit my website to find out how astrology can chart your course, insightoasis.com. This is Pamela Cuccinell. May the stars light your path and have a stellar week. Read Pamela's monthly forecast in Natural Awakenings magazine. Jennifer Hope Wills plays Guinevere in Camelot at the Westchester Broadway Theater in Elmsford. She's played Christine on Broadway in The Phantom of the Opera, Eileen in Wonderful Town, and she's been in Disney's Beauty and the Beast. And she's also mom. 
especially during winter break, to Vincent, who is how old? He's six, and they're... I, it's funny, I'm from further down south, and we never had this winter break thing. So they have off school this whole week. I don't even, I don't understand it. They were just off school. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but... What does Vincent think of Mommy and all this singing and acting? Well, you know, it's funny. He, he uh, before he started kindergarten, I used to work out of town a lot, and he'd come with me. You know, he thinks of it as a big adventure, and he had a lot of fun going all different places and staying in hotels and being at the theater. And for this show, he's had a hard time sort of understanding why he's not coming with me oh, <laughs> every day. And right. I, I think he misses it. Oh. He, um, during our tech, we had a big snowstorm and school was canceled. So we all had to uh, stay up there at Westchester. And he came with me then. I had a really good time. Oh, that's so cute. So I think he, he doesn't quite understand why he's not with me every day. Right, Mom, I want to no. come. Right. <laughs> So tell me about your background. I understand you grew up in uh, quite the theatrical environment. Yeah, I did. I uh, Well, I guess I was in my first show when I was literally like a baby in my dad's arms. I was the, the baby prince in Rumpelstiltskin. But my mom and dad, they owned and operated their own theater company down in uh, Ocean City, Maryland. Wow. Uh, for what's 20 it, years. What's so. it called? Because I'm sure many people uh, who have vacationed there would know yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Well, it was um, Parker Playhouse was the children's theater, and Parker Productions was the major company because we, uh, we did all kinds of things. We did children's shows. We did full-length musicals. We did musical reviews. And uh, it was my whole family, my brother and my sister. My grandmother was in a couple shows with <laughs> us, and they did that for 20 years. They oh. ran that company down there. What a way to grow so, up. Yeah, it was fun. So... You know, we were also in and out of school, traveling a lot, because we took our shows on the road during the school year. Yeah, and then all summer, we'd work. We'd have often three, four shows a day sometimes right, right. in the summer. Now, did you get um, to request roles? Like, Mom and Dad, you know, can I be Annie this summer? <laughs> Actually, it's funny. You should say Annie. <laughs> that was one I fought for, and we, we did. Every once in a while, he would, uh, my dad would do a show specifically for us, and that might have made the other local kids kind of upset, but... Whatever. Oh, gosh. That <laughs> but, is... yeah, I did do Annie um, with my dad as Daddy Warbuck. Oh. And my sister as Molly. And, you know, my mom was Grace Farrell in that one. And so it was a real, real family affair for sure. Oh, what a dream. Very unique and, and a fun way to grow up, too, especially in a resort town. You know, it's a great place at the beach for a kid to grow up. And now here you are in New York. And freezing. here I am. Yes. It <laughs> is really cold. And I have this old... Like 1929 house. I swear I felt the wind was blowing in my house this morning. It probably was. And the heat just, I was just telling Vincent to go down in the basement because that's the warmest room in the house right now. Where's that where the furnace is? For the furnace is, right. yeah. So we are speaking to Jennifer Hope Wills this morning, who is currently starring in Camelot at the Westchester Broadway Theater. And when people call you Jenny in the show, it probably sounds exactly familiar. <laughs> well, I was always very happy that my name is uh, derived from Guinevere because it was my dream part to play and I always thought that was cool that Jennifer comes from Guinevere. Everyone <laughs> so. knows about Guinevere and Arthur and yeah. uh, Lancelot, but, you know, I was with uh, six people when I saw the show and not one of us had ever seen the musical Camelot before. Really? Yes. What's funny, I especially 
especially in the afternoons, which I find surprising because that's usually, you know, our older audiences. But it's interesting. They've been really enthralled. And it almost like at moments, it almost seems like they're shocked, like they had no idea what was going to happen in the story, which kind of surprises me. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, but maybe more people haven't seen it more uh, than I thought. I don't know. That's how I feel. You know, the friends I've spoken to, of course, we know the characters. Right. And we loosely know some parts of the story because the story itself goes on forever and ever. Right. Um, but the musical, uh, it was surprising. It was like I was finally getting to know these people that I have only heard of. And it's so beautifully done. And you are on stage singing so much as you yeah. are in love with two men. Tell us tell us a little yeah, bit about your great, character. Right? Yeah, not bad work if you can get it, right? Right, I'm saying. No, it's fun. Uh, and I mean, this version, it's funny. If, if people have seen Camelot before, uh, this version is very different as well. So maybe that's part of what people are surprised about. I mean, first of all, the cast is obviously way smaller. There is no ensemble in this show, and which is fine. I was in the ensemble years ago, and you really don't do much anyway. Right. You do like the lusty month of May, and that's about it. So it was very easy to get rid of them. And I think because of doing that, it focuses on the characters more. And the couple of knights and ladies that we do have, become a much more integral part of the story. And this take on, on Guinevere is so fun. And it's funny, if you look back at the text, it's it's all there. She's really more of this, like, fun-loving young girl, like, wanting excitement and adventure. And, right. you know, she's a young girl when she gets married to the man that she has to get married to. And she, she likes him and falls in love with him. But, you know, there's just, she's never been able to experience the excitement that she wanted. And I think when Lancelot comes along, you know, she sees that in him, you know, this chance for excitement and fun. But, you know, in the end, she realizes that it's not real love and her, you know, she really does love Arthur. And I, I think that's a different take than a lot of times they do Camelot. They Usually it's she really is in love with Lancelot. And in this version, it's uh, it's more she really, really loves Arthur. Right. And, and um, Arthur it's really so heartbreaking. Lo- yeah, it is heartbreaking. And Arthur loves Lancelot too in, yes. in in the brotherly kind of way and I'm sure he would under he was understanding of how you could love him too Lancelot was a pretty lovable dude yeah it's a really interesting triangle because I think all you know all three of them sort of they all love each other equally it's this bizarre triangle in that sense because you know Guinevere loves the both of them and Arthur loves the both of them and Lancelot loves the both of them right it really is heartbreaking you know and a very but, mature self-sacrificing kind of love on all parts I think so yeah absolutely yeah absolutely uh, Jennifer it's so fun to talk to you I I really I really enjoyed your performance and I I want everybody to go see Camelot at the Westchester Broadway Theater and I want to tell you that you put you put me in mind your Guinevere put me of, in mind of Princess Diana Oh yeah, yeah, and how <laughs> That's interesting! Isn't that odd? But how yeah. she was really well a put free into sp- that role, yes, right? A free you, spirit, who right? Was sort of under the constraints of the crown, right? That is true. You know, it, it, that's a very good uh, analogy for people to relate to. And what do you um, want people to know about the show? If you think you've seen Camelot before and you're like, oh, I don't want to go see Camelot again or something, you really should give it a try because it is, I think it's a very different take. It's a very intimate take. I think you'll come to know the characters more and um, I really think it's um, a beautiful production. I'm really proud of it and it's, I think it focuses really more on, this, on the love story, that, that beautiful love triangle we were talking about and also about, you know, love of country, love of your country and love for a a better tomorrow and hope for that. And 
So I think it's very relevant still today. Indeed it is. Jennifer Hope Wills, Guinevere in Camelot at the Westchester Broadway Theater in Elmsford. Send an email to Casey at WHUD.com if you'd like to win a gift certificate. And stay warm and wonderful, and I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Casey on the Radio. Hear more at CaseyOnTheRadio.com. The information shared on this show is intended for general information purposes only. You can contact Casey through the website, caseyontheradio.com.